This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. How is everyone doing this fine January? The first 13 days of the month have happened and we are all just, you know, feeling some type of way. Here in New York, we're freezing. Okay, it's really cold here. I mean, it's cold everywhere. Whenever I say it's cold in New York, people are always like, well, it's negative 23 degrees where I am and like it's much colder where I am. I'm like, you know what? You saying that it's colder where you are does not does not mean that it's not cold here. It's cold in both of our worlds right now. A lot of us are cold. A lot of us are complaining about it. A lot of us are considering becoming hermits until spring. It's just something that happens. It happens every year to a lot of us, okay, that experience cold months. Although last year, I will say I didn't really experience this as much because I was for the majority of winter in Los Angeles, as you guys know. So it was a different sort of scene over there. Uh, than here, but my mom just shipped me my parka, my floor length, like my ankle length Aritzia super puffer parka. So that is going to save my life because this morning when I was walking to my trainer, I wore not one but four layers underneath my jacket. (laughs) Well, I guess, okay, three layers under my jacket, like three other jackets under my jacket. And I Definitely was warm, but I still was not warm enough. And this super puffer that I have from Aritzia is a lifesaver. So it's coming tomorrow, thank God. So now I'm fully equipped because I think I said this. Did I say this? We have a 10-degree day coming on Saturday. It's going to be 10 degrees. So that's lovely. Great weekend ahead. Um, How am I supposed to meet my mate in conditions like this? How am I supposed to have a will to date when it is this darn cold? I just don't know. But the best part about it being this cold is I have a lot of time on my hands not going out, not going to get drinks with friends after work because it's too cold to do so. So I was able to put together today's podcast episode in a record of time, found an amazing story from history to share. So I guess you could say I'm I'm on a roll when it comes to the podcasting. My dating life, on the other hand, not so great, but you guys can hear all about that on this week's episode of Match Made in Manhattan, my other podcast. I'm officially a mother of two. I have two podcasts now, and that one goes live on Tuesdays, Match Made in Manhattan on Spotify, on Apple Podcast, all about dating and relationships in New York with my two best friends. And then obviously this one is our cute little gem of stories and history and philosophy and psychology and just whatever I find on the internet, basically. That's just what it is. So yeah, that is what we have cooking right now in my kitchen, aka the floor of my apartment where I make all of my 
everything, all of my videos, all of my podcasts. But without further ado, I guess we should just get into today's episode of Thick and Thin, which I'm very excited to share with you guys. It's really something you can chew on, very interesting stuff that I dredged up from the interwebs. Okay, guys, so to set the stage for today's amazing story, an amazing concept that I've dug up and I'm so excited for us to discuss. I kind of have to backtrack a little bit. And obviously, whenever I tell stories on here, I typically go back in time, like back in history. But today, I'm actually going to go back in time in terms of our episodes because I made a whole episode about the French monarchy, the French revolution, about Marie Antoinette eating her cake or not eating her cake and getting beheaded and all that. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed making it. I think a lot of you guys enjoyed listening to it. So that is, you know, I'm taking a little piece of that and reminding you guys of that because the next part of the story that is largely unknown to many people happened right after all of that. So I want that to be fresh in our brains. So allow me to rapid fire sum things up. So it's the late 1700s in France. Queen Marie Antoinette, aka the last queen of France, is on the throne with her husband, King Louis XVI, who was notoriously kind of quiet, kind of sickly, Marie Antoinette definitely stole the show. She lived super lavishly, even while her villages were starving. The one thing that I remember from that story so, so, so vividly is the fact that she literally constructed or she commissioned, she didn't do it herself, but she commissioned the construction of her own mini village on the palace grounds that had like lakes and gardens and cottages and even like a farmhouse within, like a mini farmhouse. And her friends, like her rich friends would pretend to be peasants and like pretend to be poor for the day and have fun in the little village while literally real life people were starving in her villages and her surrounding villages that she was in charge of essentially. She did not care. So this, among other reasons, was enough for the townspeople to get very mad with the monarchy and ultimately the monarchy was overthrown. Marie Antoinette and King Louis were executed. They were beheaded, as we know, and that was the end of the French monarchy for some time. So the French Revolution officially ended in like 1800, maybe a smidge before. Napoleon, which is a name you guys might know, declared himself Emperor of France, very confident guy, in like 18. 18- four, but he fell just a decade later in 1814 for a number of reasons. I'm going to keep things vague. So Napoleon did this thing where he abdicated the throne, which is an important word for our story today. Abdication is basically the formal act of stepping down from something. So basically a fancy way of saying I quit. So when Napoleon abdicated, he stepped down from being emperor of France. He was out and the monarchy was back in. But buckle up because things get a little bit bumpy. So after Napoleon stepped down, the French monarchy re-entered the scene. And this guy, so the brother of the previous king, aka Marie Antoinette's husband, so the executed king, Louis XVI, his brother, became king, which makes sense, you know, resuming business as normal, the same family, the same blood. It just makes sense, right? Back to the regularly scheduled programming. So they thought. But then, surprise, Napoleon came out of exile and marched right on back into Paris with all of his supporters. And his Hundred Days War, as it was called, was 
Short-lived, as you can infer from the name, it ended with the Battle of Waterloo in June, which forced his abdication once again, and Louis was back again in July of 1815. How embarrassing. Anyway, so King Louis XVIII, who was now the rightful king of France, ruled for almost a decade longer, though support of the monarchy was once again dwindling, as it does, and then he died on September 16th, 1824. After King Louis XVIII passed away, he was succeeded by his youngest brother, Charles Philippe, and he became King Charles X. So this is where things get interesting. Throughout King Charles' rule, protesters of the current monarchy were mounting. They were multiplying. They were growing crazy and more and more adamant about the monarchy falling once again, or the current monarchy. They wanted a change of pace from the same family that had ruled for so long. And you know what? I totally understand this. Like, imagine here in the U.S., for me, I'm imagining, like, for us, how I live having a president after their four-year term just pass on, or not even, after they die. Like, they have to literally die, and then they pass on the throne or the presidency to someone else in their family. Like, it has to go to the same bloodline. That just feels a little bit wrong to me, you know? But I guess that's how it is in a lot of different other places. Still, to this day, it's still like that in a lot of places, you know? It's like the bloodline. Um, but anyway, the pressure was getting out of control, and King Charles X just could not take it anymore. So he gave in, and he reluctantly abdicated the throne on August 2nd, 1830, so six years after becoming king. And because he abdicated the throne, it simply went on to the next in his bloodline, because that's how it was at the time. So that was Charles' son. And this is where the inspiration for today's podcast lies. We're finally here. We finally made it. Thanks for bearing with me, guys. So the throne was abdicated to Charles' son, and his name was Louis Antoine. A little bit about Louis Antoine, which is interesting. So on June 10th, 1799, he married his first cousin, which was not shocking for the time. Absolutely vile when I think about it, but... It was not abnormal, especially for royalty, and her name was Marie-Thérèse of France, and this is juicy, guys. Well, you might not find it interesting, but I do. I certainly geeked out over this. So she, Marie-Thérèse, was the eldest child of Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. She was the only surviving member of the immediate royal family to survive the French Revolution and survive infant Hood, being an infant, she was the only member of the family to survive, like the immediate family. So as the monarchy, when this was all happening, when the beheading was happening, the monarchy was scrambling for power as they were being shipped off and into exile. They were like, what do we do to help our situation? So as the empire was crumbling, they essentially forced this marriage between Marie Therese and Louis Antoine to happen. And they were unhappy. They were miserable. They had no children, and every source that I can find says that the marriage was just not a happy one. So that is information you need to know for the next part of the story. Back to 1830. So this was when King Charles X stepped down and Louis Antoine was given his time to shine. And guys, behold, this was Louis Antoine's 20 minutes of fame because he was only king for 20 minutes. He was the king of France for 20 minutes. So 
for the duration of like, I don't know, two Chloe Ting ab workout videos. And I don't know why that's the first thing I just thought of. But yeah, 20 minutes. A lot can happen in 20 minutes, but also like nothing at all. You can't even really watch a full TV show in 20 minutes. Like there's usually like 24 minutes or something, you know? So Louis Antoine, after watching his dad step down from the throne, sign all the paperwork, and then he spent his 20 minute rule of France. Like he was in control of France for 20 minutes and this is what he did. He listened to his wife that he did not like go on and on and on about why he should not sign this document and abdicate the throne. The wife that was, let's recall, the daughter of Marie Antoinette and King Louis XVI, who got executed for trying to hang on to the throne when no one wanted them to have it. I just find that so crazy that she was like, let's hang on to it. Let's keep the throne. Like she had a lot of confidence or either an obsession with fame. Who knows? I guess that's all she's ever known. But also, I was not there, so I cannot say that. I don't know. This is just what the sources online are saying. So she was saying that he was listening to her, trying to figure out what to do, and his dad was apparently also there crying over the fact that he had to step down. And I'm just picturing this all unfolding. Like, there's a table in the room that I'm visualizing. His wife is standing over the table screaming at him. He's sitting at the table with the paperwork in front of him, and his dad is in the corner crying. And yeah, so... In the end, guys, in the end, he also abdicated, as we know, because 20-minute rule, obviously, that means he had to have stepped down, and he left for exile. He never returned to France. He was with his wife until the very end, the very wife that wanted them to... I just cannot believe it. Anyway, so Louis Antoine experienced just 20 minutes of fame, and I'm wondering if he even took like one bathroom break during his entire rule of France. <laughs> so he's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the shortest rule, like the shortest amount of time for a ruler to rule. He's tied with another guy who also only ruled for 20 minutes though. Um, and I don't remember the reason. I think it was because he was dying and that's why he got it, the other guy. But anyway, so the very short, short-lived rule, the short-lived fame of Louis Antoine got me thinking about short-lived fame, about one-hit wonders, about the 15 minutes of fame. I know obviously Louis Antoine was king for 20 minutes. Would have been nice if he did the whole 15-minute thing so it would go with today's episode. But Alas, the 15 minutes of fame, like do we know where that even came from? Like what is that phrase? What's the the full phrase? Who said it? When did it happen? Just the 15 minutes of fame, the short-lived fame, the one-hit wonder concept, why is it so enticing to us? And would we rather have our 15 minutes of fame only for it to evaporate into thin air just as quickly as it came? or not experience fame at all. Like which is which is better? Experiencing that 15 minutes and getting a taste or none at all. So to really get into this, we have to do a bit more time traveling to a different time period. So we are going back to the 60s, the 1960s. So in February of 1968 specifically, very long time after the French Revolution and all of that drama, artist Andy Warhol had this exhibition at the Moderna Musit Gallery in Stockholm, Sweden. In the exhibition catalog, it said, quote, in the future, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. And honestly, that just like sent a chill down my spine because if you think about it, a lot of people 
do achieve the 15 minutes of fame, or I guess more so the 15 seconds of fame today over on apps like TikTok, right? Like it's easy to, okay, I don't want to say it's easy, but it is possible. That's a better way to say it. It is possible to totally go viral on a video and get millions of views on one video and get like two views on every other video, you know, in comparison and not go viral again. It is very possible because of the algorithms that are in play, because of the for you page, because of just things randomly getting tossed around like a pinball machine in the TikTok sphere. So, you know, he kind of predicted it. So anyway, the saying has come to have this figurative meaning that all of us are capable of doing something in this life that could make us famous for a short time. And 15 minutes of fame, 15 minutes is just the figurative way of referring to that short time period because obviously 15 minutes is very short in the grand scheme of a life, you know, if lived to the full. I will say before I continue that it is possible that Andy Warhol wasn't the first to say this phrase. There was this photographer named Nat Finkelstein who claimed credit for the expression saying that he was, in fact, photographing Andy Warhol in 1966 when this crowd like gathered and tried to get into the photos, like photobomb the pictures. And Andy Warhol supposedly said like, oh, you know, everyone wants to be famous. And then Finkelstein, the photographer, replied, yeah, for about 15 minutes, Andy. And he supposedly sparked the 15 minutes of fame concept, maybe in Andy Warhol's mind subconsciously. Regardless of who said it first, Andy Warhol certainly popularized it, as I said, and was asked about it for the remainder of his life. So having your 15 minutes of fame is basically the equivalent of a one-hit wonder, something that shoots someone, like propels someone into the limelight, but has an expiration date, isn't forever. And it got me thinking, would I rather have 15 minutes of fame or a life entirely without fame? And after thinking about it, I decided I would definitely choose the latter, a life entirely without fame, because then I would have no idea what fame even tastes like, you know, like what what it would feel like. So I wouldn't know what I'm missing, you know, and I could avoid people for years after telling me, oh, I think I remember you, like that one hit wonder, what happened? Like, where did the fame go? I think sometimes ignorance truly is bliss, as they say. John Langer, the author of this book on tabloid television, which I'll have linked in the show notes, suggests that someone getting their 15 minutes of fame is a concept that has endured, has persisted over time. It keeps happening and keeps becoming a thing, even though people are fully aware that sometimes it just does not last. I mean, look at TikTok. This concept persists throughout history because it allows everyday activities, this is what he said, everyday activities become amplified and result in these great effects, right? So it gives us all hope that our normal day-to-day, our normal things that we do, our normal just human life can result in fame. Even if we don't seek fame or really even want it, it's kind of nice to know that it's possible even for just the average person. And that is why we're so obsessed, I think, with success stories, with the fact that I don't know, Kelly Clarkson, for example, she was living in her car before American Idol and then soared to 
unexpected international fame and now has a talk show. And, you know, she's definitely not living her 15 minutes, more like 15,000 minutes, but she very well could have just gotten 15 minutes of fame. Who knows? Like, you know, it, it, it's just so, it's a gamble. It You just don't know what's going to happen. And now anyone can be famous. You don't need this extreme wealth and production companies backing you and it doesn't take so much production anymore. You just need a phone. And I see this even just with YouTube and how that's progressed. A lot of my favorite vloggers on YouTube, I've been watching YouTube videos and creating YouTube videos for a very long time. And my favorite vloggers these days are girls that just film with their iPhones. And it's just crazy because we used to have like all of this production that went into a YouTube video. Like I would carry around my family's massive camcorder and have to whip out the screen. I still use a camera to this day because I you know, light quality and I have this vlogging camera from Sony that I love, but it's nothing in comparison to the massive Sony camcorder, the, the dinosaur I used to use. And people used to put so, so, so much money into production of TV shows, like the production level. And now people will often like put a GoPro in the car for some scenes of TV shows and GoPros are not nearly as expensive as like putting a whole camera rig in there. I think that's the word, but with technology improving and phones becoming way more capable of doing things, like legitimate things, like taking a photo that isn't super blurry. I still have photos on Facebook from the early days of camera phones, and they're just so – like, I just can't even believe that we thought that that was decent quality back then. And now you can shoot in 4K on your iPhone. It's just insane. So it's becoming much more accessible to shoot, like, decent content. Like, anyone can be a content creator, and you don't need extreme wealth to do it. And this is thrilling, yet totally terrifying, because it also means that if you are one of those people that seek fame, the competition has expanded dramatically. In terms of statistics, one's chances has decreased and continues to do so as phones make their way into more and more hands and it becomes easier and easier and easier to create videos. And it seems like when you're looking at creators out there, there's a million people just like you doing exactly what you're doing. Like it becomes very overwhelming and kind of terrifying that you know, the possibility that you could become famous, like for those people who are seeking fame, right? But for others, it could be, oh, if you want to be an influencer or a full-time content creator, it's, you know, the, the chances are getting slimmer and slimmer just in terms of like pure statistics, like the probability, I guess, is what I should say, the probability based on how many people there are in the world and how many people are doing exactly what you're doing. It becomes very overwhelming if you think about it because of the technology, because of this. And yeah, I mean, on TikTok, thousands of people experience their 15 minutes every single day, their 15 minutes of fame every single day, probably thousands upon thousands. Like I said, it's possible for one video of yours to get millions of views and totally pop off. And the other videos you post, the other 300 videos you have on there, or however many, just don't do that well. And it can really affect you. Like, I wonder how this will affect people mentally. Like we live in this generation that is obsessed with likes, with views, with, you know, the unexpected of what will happen when I put this thing out there into the world. Will it become, will it make it so I am propelled into stardom, right? 
And a lot of us will even delete something if it doesn't get enough likes and are addicted to the instant gratification of it all. And I've talked about instant gratification on here numerous times before. It's essentially wanting results and that surge of excitement, like you want that dopamine rush that you get when something performs well, you know, and you get it now, right now. You get it when you want it and not over a span of months or years or days even, you know, and giving into instant gratification and just obsessing over it is sometimes a form of self-sabotage. Like instead of taking the time that is needed to think and act rationally, we are obsessed with the now. We don't think long-term or wait for things to potentially get good. We don't Think about that one phrase that's also very popular where it's like the day that you plant the seeds is not the day you eat the fruit. I've been trying to think about that more and more as I've gotten older that it's possible to work on projects that take a little bit of time and are just as satisfying, if not more satisfying to put out there because you've put time into it. But I'm also trying to do that among a generation where people are making TikToks in like five seconds and they're blowing up. Like someone could literally record something that takes I don't know, five minutes of their day and could totally blow up and get a brand deal from it. And like, it just, it's so hit or miss and so hard to gauge. And it's such an, a confusing beast. Social media has become this. And, you know, it's a huge reason though, all of this instant gratification and the obsession with fame is a huge reason why a lot of people quit before they've even really begun. They get discouraged by the lack of engagement and they quit. Like I think back to when I started my YouTube channel, it took me so long to get a dedicated following. I've been on YouTube since 2009, which is a long time ago, still doing it to this day. And now I have like 470,000 followers or something like that, which, you know, I've, I've definitely slacked on my YouTube game a bit recently. I need to get back into that because younger Katie would be so upset considering all the work and time I put in. For only for people to not know who I was for a very long time. Like, you know, I started when I was 14. I don't think I really took off until I was like 17, maybe late 16. So there was like a two-year span where I was uploading videos and literally no one cared. And now someone would, I don't know, get a ring light and start making videos and stuff. And if they're not getting the Addison Ray level of likes and engagement and stuff, or if they start to get it and then they don't see it again, people tend to quit before they've even begun. And it's very, it just, it's sad that people can get discouraged because of that. It's, I don't know, it's one of those things where you have to have your heart in it and it has to bring you joy to do it because otherwise you can't rely on just the fame alone or the, the fame is the wrong word, the engagement, the dopamine rush, the instant gratification, because if you don't like it at the core of what you're doing, if you don't like what you're doing, it's not going to be sustainable. Like, your heart will not be in it if you don't like what you're doing and it'll make it feel like a chore. And yeah, it just leads you down a not so great path in my opinion. When we don't get fulfillment, right? Back to the instant gratification thing. When we don't get that dopamine rush, we might experience anxiety and this sense of like tension and unease that we almost like for me, at least, sometimes I experience this. Like I get very down when a photo doesn't perform how I thought it would or, you know, it's the expectation does not align with the reality and it really upsets me sometimes. If I'm already feeling low, it just sets me over, like 
overboard, I guess, in terms of my feelings. And this is something that a lot of us, I feel like, know pretty well, this feeling. Even if we're not chasing fame, per se, social media is kind of, it's beyond achieving fame, your 15 minutes. Like not everyone on social media is looking to get famous. It's more so just a collage of everything that you're about and showing that to the people who follow you, those people that you want to share your life with. You want them to see this specific picture of you, this specific, I guess, collage of you, right? They, You want to paint this picture for these people and you want them to see this and understand it and love you for it, you know? At the core of it, that's kind of what it is. And this could result in a lot of anxiety if even despite your best efforts, people just don't see you as you want to be seen, right? Like if it doesn't align and you don't feel that love, and a lot of us have learned to see love through social media, right? Like the the engagement, engagement equals love, for a lot of us, we look through the likes that we are given on a photo or like the likes that happen on a photo. What do you say? Like the likes on a photo, I guess. You look through the likes and you see, oh, these are all my friends that liked my picture. These are potential love interests that like my picture. These are, I don't know, like people from my work, like in, employees or not employees, um, coworkers of mine. Yeah. Coworkers of mine that like my photo. Like you take note of that. And from there, you're like, oh, this person has either love for me or respect for me or is curious about me. It definitely gives you that rush of like, ooh, I feel like someone cares, right? And when you don't feel that someone cares, if someone unfollows you unexpectedly, it really crushes you sometimes. Like for me, at least it does. If I notice that someone, I noticed one time that this guy that I had a romantic past with that things didn't end like super well, but I thought that maybe there would be a chance we would rekindle things after a weird spot and he unfollowed me and it just crushed me. And it's just crazy because social media is such a new thing. It's still so, so new. We have to remember and remind ourselves of that. Um, And we're just still trying to figure out, like wrap our heads around it and figure out how to act and how to, what to prioritize, you know? So very interesting all of this 15 minutes of fame stuff. And, you know, in the end, Andy Warhol has been dead now for 34 years, I wrote down, 34 years, and he is still a household name. So, yeah, he definitely, he left a mark, more than 15 minutes worth of a mark. And his story is actually really interesting too, like a lot, a lot, like his story is a lot. So maybe I'll cover that someday too, but Anyway, guys, that is my episode on the 15 Minutes of Fame. I hope it gave you a little bit of something to chew on, like I said at the beginning. And yeah, like, let's just think, like, what would you do if you were king of France for 20 minutes? I would, like, make really crazy laws for the next guy to, like, clean up, like, or crazy decrees and have, like, the next guy come in, have to deal with it all. I mean, that's really petty, and I feel like presidents do that often in U.S. history, and it's not so great. But, you know, 20 minutes in France when the whole place is already crumbling, might as well. I would make like a crazy law. Like I would institute like a new holiday that's named after me, Katie Bilotti Day. I don't know when it would – I guess it would be my birthday, right? October 27th is Katie Bilotti – National Katie Bilotti Appreciation Day. That's what I would do or something crazy or I would like – 
give myself a lot of money. I don't know if that's how, like how it worked in French monarchy, but anyway, guys, that is my episode. I am officially delirious. Um, I have to, I don't know, take a break from my computer because I think I'm going insane. So that is it for my episode, guys. Hope you all enjoyed, and I will talk to you all next Thursday. Bye. Bye.